Good morning. We'd like to welcome you all here to the Houghton Wesleyan Church on this snowy Sunday morning. Please stand and join us as we worship our God together.
is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Savior, you can move the mountains. God, you are mighty to save. You are mighty to save. Father, we thank you that you are indeed the God who saves. We've come today because we want to declare who you are and we want to declare our allegiance to you and to each other. So we pray that you would be glorified in our worship today. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today.
I sort of feel like this morning I got a little taste of what's going to be happening, Lord willing, on March 23rd through April 1st. I woke up at about 6.30, although at 5 I noticed there was some power in my house, but at 6.30 there wasn't. And so we called in at about 7.15 and said there's 102 homes without power and it will be restored soon. I began to whine and complain and wonder, do I want to go to church because I can't shower? And I was just thinking about all these inconveniences and excuses I could make to maybe justify not being here, although I wanted to be here. But I was just a little wrestling match going on in my little heart. And finally, I just took a shower and made enough hot water. And I made sure, you know, Cindy's not here, just not, Simon's not here. So that implies I took too much hot water. But um, what that has to do with what I want to share with you, um, March 23rd through April 1st, last week you noticed in the bulletin, Inserts, And this week you see in the flyer, or not in a flyer, but in your bulletins, college students, uh, we have a privilege of going to the Union Beach, New Jersey area, where back in October, their homes and their families and so many things are just destroyed and wiped out. In Union Beach alone, there are still 2,200 homes that need to be renovated. 300 still need to be demolished. The area is just devastated by the superstorm or Hurricane Sandy. And uh, the most it will cost you as a college student to go will be $200, but it may even be less. The church, Global Partners, have already contributed some funds to help cover the expenses. We'll leave uh, in the morning, mid-morning, on the 23rd of March. We'll go there. And essentially, we're going to be, one thing we'll be doing is building a playground for the area and try. There's some children that are just, you know, missing things and um of that nature, there will be some other opportunities of maybe protects um, ministry is sharing with the children or some of the people, families or whatever. But if you're interested, please take time. There's some flyers in the back there on the table. Grab these as you leave and fill these out and send these in. We don't have a lot of time. Uh, it took a while for that to come together to go. I just really felt in my heart that would be the place for us to go this year. So if you are interested, please take time, grab one of these, fill it out and send it in. If you are a couple and would like to go along and help out in, in the process, driving the van or whatever, see me about that as well, all right? Thank you very much. Thanks, Kevin. Just a couple of things to mention. Um, this Wednesday, actually the next two Wednesdays, because of school breaks, uh, our Wednesday night children's programs will not be meeting, and they'll resume on March 6th. Just note that. Also, uh, small groups continue to meet, and uh, I'm also... Uh, getting ready to host a membership class, so if you're interested in knowing more about membership or being part of that class, let me know uh, this week as uh, we put that together. This time we'd like to invite our ushers forward to receive our morning tithes and offerings. me when I call. You are my morning song. Though darkness fills the night, it cannot hide the light. Whom shall I fear? You crush the enemy underneath my feet. You are my sword and shield. Though troubles linger still, shall I feel? I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always on my side. The one who reigns forever. He is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. 
If you'd like to use the altar as a place where you come to pray as we offer our prayers to God together, please come and join me. Father, we come today and, and we ponder who you are. You are the God of angel armies. You are the sovereign Lord of all that is. You've created everything, brought it into existence out of nothing. You rule over everything. You have no equal, no rival. You are the Almighty One. And we come and we worship you as the great God of all. And then we are reminded that you, the great God, loves us. He cares for us and wants relationship with us so much that you send your son, Jesus Christ, into this world and that he eventually goes to the cross for our sins that we might know you and be known by you. It is overwhelming to contemplate the depths of your love for us. And today we come in gratitude and thanksgiving for all that you have done. And we come again declaring our desire to know you and to follow you and to serve you and to live our lives for you. We recognize how often we fall short of those goals and dreams. And we pray for your forgiveness and for your grace in our lives. We pray, Father, not only for ourselves, but for what, for what Christ means in this world. We know that there are things in our lives in which we feel the weight of, of the reality of life in this world, the burden the struggle of pain and heartache and disappointment, anxiety and fear. We can be so overwhelmed by all of these emotions and the things of life. And this morning we come and we lay all these things at your feet. And we ask for your healing, for your comfort, for your strength, for wisdom, for guidance. And we ask that, pray that you would help us to trust you. And Lord, we pray for this world in which we live. Once again, we read today of car bombs going off in the Middle East, and in the middle of crowded markets, dozens of people dead and hundred or more wounded and We realize how privileged we are in this country and yet we are so burdened about what's going on in so much of the world. We ask, Father, that through your Holy Spirit you would defeat the evil one and his plans for violence and hate and destruction. We pray, Father, that your people would stand up as people of hope and peace and grace and mercy and let it begin in us. Father, thank you. 
for this time of year when we, we think especially about all that Christ has sacrificed for us. Let the cross penetrate our lives and our world. Let us be filled with a passion for Christ. Because we see all that Christ has done and is doing for us. We offer our prayers in his name. Giving thanks for all that he has done. And remembering the prayer that he taught us to pray, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Early in the morning, Jesus was taken from Caiaphas' house to the governor's palace. The Jewish authorities did not go inside the palace, for they wanted to keep themselves ritually clean in order to be able to eat the Passover meal. So Pilate went outside to them and asked, What do you accuse this man of? We would not have brought him to you if he had not committed a crime. Then you yourselves take him and try him according to your own law. We are not allowed to put anyone to death. This happened in order to make come true what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he would die. Pilate went back into the palace and called Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? Does this question come from you? Or have others told you about me? Do you think I'm a Jew? It was your own people and the chief priests who handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom does not belong to this world. If my kingdom belonged to this world, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish authorities. No. My kingdom does not belong here. Are you a king, then? You say that I am a king. I was born and came into the world for this one purpose, to speak about the truth. Whoever belongs to the truth listens to me. And what is truth? Then Pilate went back outside to the people and said to them, I cannot find any reason to condemn him, but... According to the custom you have, I always set free a prisoner for you during the Passover. Do you want me to set free for you, the king of the Jews? They answered him with a shout. Barabbas was abandoned.
that our praise today would include listening to your word and engaging ourselves in your word as we continue in worship, letting you speak into our lives. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Funny the things that we remember from our childhood. Now there are some things that are, you know, they're big events, and they it makes sense that we would remember them. That family trip to Disneyland, or you know, the the time where you had the opportunity to to go to some big event, and and it's one of those things that you you know you'll never forget, even as you're doing it. But I'm thinking about the just the everyday events of life that stick in our minds. Those things that, that we think back and ask ourselves, why in the world do I remember that? I, I have one of those from sixth grade. You know, completely ordinary day. In fact, it was the first day of sixth grade health class. And, you know... Um, Health class is taught by, at least in our school, is taught by the PE teacher, the boys' PE teacher. And so our class happened to meet in the uh, home ec room. And, of course, the home ec room was larger than most of the classrooms. It had a couple little kitchens with stoves and sinks and things. And there was a whole section over here with sewing stuff. And all the things you think about in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade home ec class. And this room had two doors to it. And one door was just an open door, like you walk into a classroom, you walk in and you're in the big room. But the other door had a little hallway. 
that when you came from the outside, the, the, the normal hallway, you walked in the store and you went through this little hallway entrance. And on the sides were these tall cabinets and they were filled with all kinds of home ec stuff. You know, things for sewing class and, and things for cooking class. It was filled with all kinds of things. And the home ec teacher was, I don't know, what word I use? Quirky. I'll, I'll, put, I'll use that word, okay? She'd been teaching a long time. She had dealt with a whole lot of difficult students, and it was beginning to show. Uh, you know, as a sixth grader, everybody, she might have been 40 years old, but as sixth graders, she seemed 75 to us. You know how that goes. But she'd been teaching a long time, and, and it was beginning to wear on her nerves, you could tell. And, and, and so she was, very, she was very particular about her room. And so on this first day of PE class, the teacher sets down the rules and the guidelines of the classroom. And one of those rules was nobody enters or exits the room through this door with the little hallway. Because the, the home ec teacher doesn't want anybody messing with her stuff in those cabinets. So don't go that hallway. And I remember him lecturing us about this over and over again. You use this main, main door. So... For class comes to an end, and we all get up and are walking toward this door, and we look back, and he heads out that door. We're like, hey, what's up, you know? And I remember the next class period questioning him about that. And we all, a bunch of us said, hey, what's going on? How come you went out that door? And he gave us the classic line. It's the first time I remember ever hearing it. Do as I say, not as I do. And he said it with a straight face, because I think he meant it. And, and as I think back, I'm thinking, why do I remember that event? I have no idea why I remember that. But it's stuck in my mind. And it, maybe it's because it was the first, my first real experience that I could grasp with adult hypocrisy. And I have since learned from sixth grade to now that it's a fairly common occurrence. That we, that we, in a sense, commit hypocrisy and, and are hypocrites an awful lot. And we all know that we are. John Calvin once said that the, the human heart is filled with, with crannies in which vanity lies. And holes in our hearts in which falsehood lurks. And we become so deceitfully hypocritical. That we continually dupe ourselves about who we are. We see this hypocrisy in our lives. And it's been going on since the human race was created. And sin entered the world. And one of the things that struck me as I was reading through the, the, the passion accounts once again this year. Is, is how much you see hypocrisy. In the story of Jesus' arrest and, and, and his interrogation and ultimately his crucifixion. And one of the places we see that today is, one of the first places we see that is in the incident that we saw or looked at from John's gospel, the 18th chapter this morning. And you know, Jesus is in the, is in the garden praying. He knows that the hour has come. He's made that very clear. Now is the time. And as he's in the garden, he finishes praying. Here comes Judas and, and the soldiers, and they come people from the Jewish uh, leadership, the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews, and they come and they arrest him, and they spend the night interrogating him at the home of the high priest. They're not able to get where they want to get. And so as morning arises, they take him to Pilate. And they, they stand before Pilate, and they accuse Jesus falsely conspiring against Jesus to have him executed. And what is so ironic to me in this story is that here are these Jewish leaders conspiring for the execution of an innocent man, and yet John tells us that they won't go into the palace of Pilate because they want to be able to eat the Passover that later in the day. Now, the Passover is a big deal. There's no doubt about that. I was trying to think of, you know, of how to equate the Passover with our lives. You know, the Passover comes out of God rescuing the people from, from Egypt and slavery. 
It is something God continually brings up to them. I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the God who rescued you from slavery. I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. He reminds them over and over again. The part of that was the Passover meal. That the, they put blood on the doorpost so the angel of death passed over their homes. And they ate this meal in haste. And it was a special meal. And every year on that day, the Jewish people were to eat the Passover meal. To remind them of what God has done for them. And so it's a big deal. And as I was trying to think of equating that, maybe the closest we can come to it is is Christmas. That something happened to you that you were unable to celebrate Christmas with your family. And not because you were out of town, not because you were sick, but just because you were excluded from it. And so while your whole family is opening gifts and having this big Christmas dinner, you're sitting in your room not being able to participate. Hearing everything, knowing what's going on, and being excluded from it. That's a glimpse of of the importance of Passover. And there were rules about who could celebrate Passover and not. And and if you were unclean, that could last anywhere from 24 hours to 7 days or sometimes longer than that. And only people who were ritually clean were allowed to celebrate Passover. And one of the Jewish rules was that if you entered a Gentile house, you became unclean. And there's a whole convoluted thing of how they got to that point. But that, that, was, the, that was their law at that time. You enter a Gentile house, you're now unclean. And so if they entered Pilate's palace, that would make them unclean and they would not be able to eat the Passover. And so here you have this, this amazing picture Of people who say, we're not going to go into Pilate's palace. We're not going to break that law of God. But we have no problem conspiring to execute this innocent man. Now here's the thing. This is really not about the Jewish leaders. What we're talking about today is about how often we resemble them. And the subtle ways in which duplicity and hypocrisy sneaks into our lives. James Emery White uh, tells about uh, a time he spent in Oxford studying. And one of his favorite places to go was the Eagle and Child Pub. This was the place that C.S. Lewis and G.R. Tolkien and others of the Oxford uh, group would come together and they would share their stories and talk about their work and, and spend time together. Usually met there once a week. And it is one of those tourist stops that people want to visit when they go to Oxford. And so they are, um, so he was sitting in there one day, he sat at his usual table and here come, here came a group of tourists. They came in, they left and he hears the owner of the pub complaining about them. Idiot Christians. He actually used more colorful language, but I won't use that. There's idiot Christians coming into the pub. And so White, he kind of knows this guy a little bit. He'd been there enough. And he says, so what's up? Because he said, I, you see these menus? He said, I spent two, I paid two pounds a piece for these nice menus. I ordered hundreds of them. I have 10 left. Because these Christians keep coming in and stealing them. He said, Really? Stealing the menus? He says, yeah. I said, so I made some paper ones, just, just copies of them to you, give to them. They can take them, have them, but they don't want those. They want the nice ones. And he said, White said, he looked around the wall and there were all kinds of plaques and pictures. There were autographed things by Lewis and Tolkien and others and a letter that all of the, the, the Oxford Club had signed. And he's thinking, he said to the guy, I'm wondering why they don't take those things. He goes, oh, they would. He said, but those are replicas. He said, I'm not putting up the real ones because they'd be gone in a day. And, and, he said, and he said, the most amazing thing is these people who come and they want to commemorate Lewis and they want, to, they want to come and visit these places where Lewis spent so much time. These people are all Christians, right? And White said to himself, yeah, I think most of them are. And he said, it struck me the, the interesting dynamic that there's probably a lot of these people who come wouldn't, wouldn't think of sitting down and drinking a pint of ale. But they have no problem stealing things from the proprietor of this pub. And we know how easy it is to rationalize the things that we do. 
And to see obedience to God in ways that justify our actions. You see it throughout history. I mean, the Crusades are a perfect example of people who felt justified and felt like they were doing the right thing for the kingdom of God by going out and massacring Muslims. Martin Luther, great leader of the church, this great man used of God, gave his blessing to persecuting, even murdering Anabaptists who disagreed with his perspective. You know, think about the times when we come together for worship and we have these great times of worship, then we walk out and we treat each other poorly. And we don't make the connection of we just had a great prayer meeting and that ought to change how I act. Because we've done our duty. And so often we get wrapped up in doing the rituals of our faith that we don't let the... the we don't, we're more about the ritual than we are what God wants to do in us through those things. And we get so wrapped up in doing right things, we don't let that, those actions and those events and those times of worship and learning change us so that we then go out and live right. And we can so easily compartmentalize our lives just like the religious leaders. And we, and we don't even realize it because we're doing right things. I remember back when I was a child and we, I grew up in a part of the, of the church that was very conservative. And, and when we went to camp meetings and got together with, at the, in the district areas of our churches, it was extremely conservative part of the church. And, and my parents were... You know, compared to a lot of people, they were conservative, but they were more progressive than a lot, most everybody else in the, in the area of, of our Wesleyan churches. And I can remember, you know, going, you go to those places and there were very strict rules about the kinds of clothes you wore or didn't wear. You know, women didn't cut their hair. Women didn't wear jewelry or makeup. Those were taboo. Men didn't wear long hair. And I remember one of the most amazing things is that my dad took a lot of grief because instead of wearing white shirts and thin ties, he wore colored shirts and kind of wide flamboyant ties like we wore in the 70s. And he was ostracized for that. And they were treated terribly for the way that the decisions they made about things like that. And nobody could see it. And I think about those stories, and I, and the moment I be start becoming self-righteous, the, so the Lord taps me on the shoulder and says, okay, yeah, that wasn't right, but what about you and this? Oh, yeah. It happens to all of us. And in fact, we are probably never more susceptible to hypocrisy and duplicity than and as we begin to know more and more about God, because that the more we know, the more we get attached and, and connected to some of the rules and the rituals that are intended for our good, but those become the measuring sticks of spirituality. Do you do this or you do that? And we judge our spirituality based on whether we do these things, not whether we are really living in openness to God. And you can pick whatever the things are that you want to, that you want to pick. But we do them because arrogance can so easily creep into our hearts and our souls. John Wesley used to to talk to his people about about the, you know, of course, what he called sanctification or holiness or the, the, the second work of grace, whatever language you want to use to describe it. But it, boil it down, it's, it is having a, a closer relationship with God. It is, it is God doing something in a person's life that they become more and more like Christ, which obviously is a good thing. We're changed, we're transformed in significant ways. And when that would happen to people in the, in the Methodist churches, Wesley encouraged people to share about it because it encouraged other people to think they could have something like that in their lives. But he encouraged them hesitantly. 
Because he had watched so often people stand up and share in the meetings about their experiences with God and see them sit down and walk out and be filled with arrogance. Because it was such a short trip from look what God has done for me to look at me. And that arrogance seeps into our hearts and it causes us so often to be susceptible to hypocrisy. We think we've arrived. We think we've figured it out. We are convinced that we understand and we're all about formulas. And so if you follow these formulas, then you're good. And it's not that the formulas are bad. It's just that the formulas aren't going to save us. They're not the end. They are a part of getting us to the end. It seems to me that there is this formula of our lives that that I do think is true. And it goes something like this. Obedience to God plus mistreating other people equals disobedience to God. Obedience to God plus mistreating other people, however you want to define that, degrading them, being hateful toward them, whatever. Obedience to God plus mistreating people equals disobedience to God. It's like throwing an odd number into a whole list of even numbers. You can have a hundred numbers and 99 of them are even. You throw one odd, add one odd number into it and the answer is going to be odd. And no matter how much we follow the rules, if God isn't changing our hearts, if God isn't changing the way we treat other people, then what, did the rule, what are the rules really doing for us? Are we truly, really obeying God? Or have we become deluded and confused and actually duplicitous? Reinhold Deaver said, most of the evil done in this world is not done by evil people. It's done by people who see themselves as good. And we start getting connected to a cause or an idea. And we become enamored with that cause and that idea. And we will do anything possible to protect that cause and that idea. And that includes even things that we may do against other people. Because the ritual... The idea is more important than anything else. We look at that and we say, well, okay, well, what's the answer to that? And for some people, the answer is just don't worry about obeying God anymore. Just skip it. Forget about it. doesn't matter. I'm not sure that's exactly what God has in mind for us. I don't think the answer is who cares? Do what you want. I don't think that's what God is intending for us. The problem is not what God is asking of us. The problem is our hearts about obedience. And it seems to me that the only solution we have to this struggle with hypocrisy is the cross. It is coming before the cross once again and surrendering ourselves and acknowledging our weakness and our struggle and our humanness and our sin And in Christ, who is crucified, finding what we need. It is only through through the cross of Christ that we have hope to be different. It is only as we come to the cross in humility and in weakness and in acknowledging our struggle that God can change us and work in us. And we can actually see change take place in us. As Jesus stands before Pilate, falsely accused, in that moment, it would have been so easy for him to turn to those religious leaders and say, do you realize what you're doing here? Do you see how crazy this is? But he doesn't. He surrenders himself to the cross. 
See, the religious leaders believe that they, that Yahweh, that God, is more interested in protocol than in people. That God is more interested in rituals than righteousness. That God is more interested in knowing what is right than in doing what is right. And they are wrong. And the only way for us to truly grasp that and to live that and to let God change us is to continually surrender ourselves to the power of the cross. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is writing to, to the church there in Philippi about people who have come into the church and are telling them that it's all about the rituals, it's all about the, the, the things that you do. And he says, look, if anybody could brag about what they do, it would be me. And he gives them this litany of his heritage and all the things that he has done and his background and all that he's learned and, and, and all of the accolades about his life. And then he says, but it doesn't mean anything. All I want is Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and I want to engage myself in his sufferings. Because the power of life and the power of righteousness is in surrendering ourselves to Christ who surrendered himself for us. And as important as, as the, the laws of God are and as important as, as obedience is, we keep coming back to Jesus' description of the law and obedience. Love. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. It is about, in the words of Craig Barnes, glorifying God by becoming tributaries of God's love in this world. If we really want to obey God, ultimately, it is going to bring us back to loving God and loving others. And instead of seeing our relationship with God as a checklist, we see our relationship with God as love and surrender and giving of ourselves to him and to each other. David Schrader once said, in the church there are two kinds of people. There are hypocrites and there are forgiven hypocrites. It's all about the cross. And as you and I contemplate the struggles in our lives of obedience, are we surrendering ourselves to Christ, to the cross, to the one who surrendered all that he is to us and for us, to God? Heavenly Father, In this moment of silence, reveal the struggles that we have to truly obey. Help us to hear you. Father, thank you for the cross, for Christ. 
though he had all the every power to grasp everything that it means to be God, surrendered himself and became obedient to death on the cross. Let this be our minds and our hearts that we might know the joy and the freedom of life with you and with one another. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing as we conclude this morning, but if if you'd like to just spend a little bit more time praying, altar's open, you can sit in your seat. But if God is speaking to your heart, I want to encourage you to respond to that in some way of openness and of surrender to his word and to his voice. Please stand as we sing.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.